Welcome to the Clinical Pharmacist podcast, where we discuss interesting topics related to clinical pharmacists in general practice. My name is Runa. I'm your host. Uh, I'm the clinical lead of CPS and the training and development manager of Clinical Pharmacist Academy. And I've also got uh, Mahmoud today, who is co-hosting. Hi, everyone. And today we've got a returning guest, uh, which is really exciting. We've got Sandeep Gill, who we actually interviewed for the first time when we actually launched our podcast, uh, which was probably, I can't remember now, probably a couple of years ago, but Sandeep, you might be able to fill us in with some exact details. Um, But yeah, welcome Sandeep uh, and thank you so much for coming back. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. And it was, uh, I think it went out February 21, the first podcast. Okay, wow. Mm. Yeah, so more than a year. Okay, fantastic. So I think last time when you were here, we were had recently transitioned into the primary care role. And believe you've been in that role ever since we spoke. How, how have things been? Yeah, things have been good. It, it's completely different to when I first started with, you know, with the nerves and, you know, being unsure about what I was doing. Um, it's, uh, it's been a roller coaster, but in a good way. Okay, lovely. So I think just to give some background to our audience um, who who are listening. So when you first started, I think you started off with us first, didn't you? And then you joined a a local PCN. How has your role developed? What sort of things did you start doing? And uh, what what have you been doing over over the last few months? Yeah, so started with you guys um, just before the pandemic. Uh, No, I just started with the PCN just before the, the pandemic. And we uh, and it's completely different now. So what I started with was doing uh, the impact and investment fund back then and mainly doing audits, you know, just sort of pulling out. It was, it was around um, gastrotoxic drugs and PPI cover. Um, and, you know, that was the, the main part of it. And but today, you know, we're still doing the impact and investment fund, you know, for 2023. But I'm covering so much more of it than I was back then. You know, now we're. Uh, well, still working on um, gastrotoxic drugs, but you're also looking at high-risk drugs, DMARD monitoring, lithium monitoring. Uh, DOAX is such a massive focus now. You know, I didn't even know what DOAX stood for, I think, when I first started. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. DOAX coming out of my ears. Uh, you know, SMRs, uh, I love SMRs. I really enjoy the quality time that you get with the patient. And you get some really good positive outcomes. One is purely because they get to sit down and just tell you their story. Mm. And you can just quickly win them over by fixing the thing that's most important to them. Could just simply be that they haven't heard from their secondary care appointment for a while. And they're wondering, are they still on the waiting list or there's not been a follow up? You can, you know, it's a quick email to whichever department that is and come back to you and let you know. And within a couple of days, you fix that problem for the patient. You yeah, know, I think yeah, it's, it's so nice sort of tying up those loose ends for the patient and, it, you know, it really is. Yeah, and you it can really make such is. a hu- huge impact. And yeah, I agree. It can be really rewarding. Um, okay. If we think about the how much you've developed as a clinician in sort of the, the last 18 months, because I know when you first transitioned, it was it was a new role for you. So I would imagine that the learning curve would have been quite steep, especially in the first few months. If you were to look back at compared to what your competency level was when you first started and where you're at now, how would you say that you've developed and how much has that your comp- clinical competency improved? It's been exponential growth. It's really, I sometimes I have like a 
quite reflective moment. I think about what I knew and what I know today. It's just complete two different, completely different people. Today, I'm running diabetic clinics, asthma clinics, COPD clinics. GPs will, rather than talk to the patient themselves, they will book their patient in with me, knowing that the patient will get more information. And that's that's quite humbling that GP is willing to put their patient into my hands because then they have that much faith in me. You know, and, and it's, I do uh, atrial fibrillation case finding, I do hypertension case finding, Q risks, you know, list is endless at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and think there's still so much more to do, you know, on my personal development plan, you know, next thing is, you know, doing uh, hypothyroidism and uh, hypothyroidism and doing those uh, clinical reviews with patients, making sure I totally understand it before, um, you know, I sit down with patients and chat with them about it. I think that's one of my big things is that you want to make sure I know everything about the subject before I have the first patient into the clinic. Yeah, that, you know, you so I don't feel like I'm caught out with any question or anything. But sometimes you do, you can't know everything on a subject, because there's always room for um, reading development and things change so quickly make yeah. sure that you completely you know understand what what you're doing understand how you want your clinic to run um, and what the flow is and then you've done a few patients got your own personal flow then you definitely want to make sure you're equipped with the at least basic knowledge when you're going into a subject. I think we, we do need to have find a fine balance between wanting to know everything, wanting needing to know enough, either extreme. But I and think if you do forget it, you can always yeah. call that patient back in. So if, exactly. You know, if it, yeah, if it's you need to have a terrible situation, you know, mm. encounter with the patient, you just think, oh, no, I should have asked all these questions. Call them back in, you know, tell them you're doing a four week follow up. Mm-hmm. pull them back in and you can uh, you know and do the follow-up and add in all the bits that you didn't remember to do the first time around so you yeah. know you you'll learn you will learn to go on exactly yeah and I think that's where uh, some of the new pharmacists they're kind of sometimes a little bit hesitant when they're doing their first few sort of face-to-face consultations or um, telephone consultations they spend ages trying to just make sure they know everything about the patient and we just say to them look just call the patient up because it might be a really simple it might turn out to be a really simple consultation and nine times out of ten it is and if you are ever caught out with something that you you can't answer on the spot you can always just tell the patient I'll have to call you back and, and that's not a problem I often use the frame phrase, oh, let me just check with the doctor if he's happy to do X, Y, Z and yeah. I'll come back to you. And they quite like to know that you're going to liaise with the doctor about their situation. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, so that's always, a, you know, a bit of a, a get out clause. And what I would say is if you are going to liaise with a GP, make have a plan. If you've made a decision about what you want to do next, take that decision to the GP to either agree or disagree rather than going to the GP with open question. Oh yeah, 100%. I think that's a really good point. The last thing you want is send the GP a problem without any recommendations. Yeah, you've got to have the recommendations in there. Yeah, what I normally say to to pharmacists is try to get a, a, send a question to GP that requires yes or no answer. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the time they will say agree with you and they will say yes. Mm. Um, you yeah. know, because you've thought about it, you've read about it, you've read the nice guidelines, you've read other guidelines. I'll give you an example. Like on Friday, I had a patient question and the GP just didn't know what the answer was. That was before lunch and after lunch. I'd gone with him with, right, this is the local guidelines. Uh, are you happy for me to follow these guidelines and do what this patient wants me to do? Or would you rather go a different route? And he was like, oh my God, I didn't even know we had guidelines. Mm. You know, and then, um, you know, and then that was a quick fix. 
Yeah. And yeah. GPs just don't have time. They, they need um, they need you to have done the background reading and to come to them with the evidence and the what your decision is based on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like it could be something as simple as like, for example, a common one like Ramipril, the patient's EGFR is below 60, for example, and they're on 10 mm. milligrams. Just quoting the BNF and say, according yes. to the renal impairment section, it says this, are you happy for me to do X, Y, Z? And you know, just presenting that information to them so yeah. they don't need to trawl through the patient records and spend another absolutely. 20 minutes. You know, you, you've been with that patient for the last half hour, just yeah. give the, the doctor a quick summary so they can help you make that decision. So yeah, and I absolutely do, uh, agree with that. Um, and I think just... Because I think the fact that you've developed so much as a clinician is also because of the great attitude that you had in terms of wanting to learn and being quite keen in that sense and uh, being quite proactive in your learning. What would you say has also helped you to develop your clinical competencies I think I'm a keen learner. I've always wanted to know everything about the subjects. So I won't just read, someone says, go off and learn about this. I won't just read the nice guidelines. I'll go off and read other guidelines and other and compare and contrast each thing. Mm. Um, so for example, I've got an interest in diabetes. So I've read the NICE guidelines. I've also read the American Diabetes Guidelines. And um, I will go on a, a, I follow a couple of diabetes experts online. And, you know, if they're holding any additional webinars or tutorials, anything like that, I'll attend in my own time so that I can you know, pick up little bits from different people. Just who, whatever your interest is, is just go and find other people who are experts in that and learn from them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's really good advice because what we don't want to do is just take guidelines and just apply them as, as like a template for every single patient that you come across because we need to remember that they are just guidelines. And as clinicians, we're expected to have a deeper understanding of the subject and, and be able to tailor the guidelines according to the patient in front of us. Absolutely. So, I think that's a big thing. I think a lot of clinicians say that they're guidelines, not they're not tracks, railway tracks where you've got to yeah. stick to them. You've got to, and I think especially in diabetes, you've got to tailor the advice that you give or the medication changes to the patient that's sitting in front of you. Yeah. You know, whether they're they've turned up and their HbA1c of 100, they've got osmotic symptoms you're going to go with a different set of medication than to someone who's just come in and with HbA1c of 49. Mm -hmm. it's, it's completely two different things that you're going to think about, two different sets of advice and support. Someone mm -hmm. who's in their 80s, for example, is going to get different advice to someone who's 44. Mm -hmm. so, I yeah. mean, it's, it's got to be tailored advice. And that, you know, that's true for hypertension, it's true for asthma, COPD, the whole, everything, I think. Yeah. Is, the advice you give has got to be tailored. The medication has got to be tailored to that individual. Understanding what the medication is going to do as well in that situation. As clinicians, as pharmacists, we, we've not studied and trained for five years just to sort of use guidelines and nothing else. Otherwise, an, an administrative, someone with, with an admin role can come along Absolutely, and do that. Yeah. If so it's just following a flowchart and going, oh, this has happened, that's happened, oh, now that I've got to do this, then mm -hmm. like you said, anyone could do that. It's yeah. understanding the fine detail about it. I think that's what they say about the, the talks about AI can replace uh, clinicians. You don't need clinicians. But actually, AI will never be able to do that finer detail. might be able to personalise it. And yeah. that's what you need the clinician to do. Mm -hmm. you yeah. know AI will get signed so to a certain point but brought that finer detail yeah yeah sometimes Hopefully the AI won't come anytime soon 
<laughs> I think it's inevitable. It's probably got a role somewhere. But yeah, I think, I think that, that human intuition, you know, it, it's, yeah. it, you know, we do it's rely true. on it. Yeah, um, It's true. And um, I'll give you another couple of examples. Like uh, you might call someone in for a, I'll give you an example, yeah, called somebody in because they had a HBMC of 51, I think it was. Okay. Um, you know, so it was a, a metformin initiation appointment. But actually, he mentioned that he had diarrhea and that he'd had it for several years and he was bleeding a few times a week from the back passage. Mm. So all of a sudden, that consultation is now uh, taking a different turn. Yeah. Uh, and I've had to shift my, my uh, consultation into uh, possible cancer to eat weight because now I'm worried about, well, I don't want to give you metformin if you already got diarrhea. Mm-hmm. And actually, his uh, liver function tests were deranged as well. So I it was see. like, like this. I've got to stop the diabetes stuff now. We need to go down a different route, rule this out before we can go back to the diabetes route. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's so, a really interesting case. And uh, we always stress as well, it's um, whether you're doing chronic disease management or, or minor illness, it, it's so important to know your red flags and, and differential 100%. diagnosis, because it's all okay if everything's according to the guidelines and you've got a textbook patient in front of you. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one textbook patient. <laughs> yeah, so that's why it, it's brand new to this role. And you haven't acquired the the essential knowledge. It's difficult to know what you don't know. And unless you ask about these certain symptoms and rule them out, or perhaps the patient may say something and you don't really think of it as, as anything significant, it can be quite dangerous. So that's a really good, interesting example that you shared. So we've talked about sort of what's gone well and, and how you've developed as a clinician over the last sort of year and a half. What would you say have been some of the challenges for you? Challenges is definitely time. Okay. You know, working full time being a mum, being Mm -hmm. a wife, you know, just being a human, (laughs) (laughs) you know, time is, you know, with the additional learning that you need to do, you've got to be organized. Yes. um, And you've also got to make sure you have rest as well, I think, because it can be a bit overwhelming with the CPP pathway. It's fantastic stuff in there, but it's, they're not going to hold your hand and they're not spoon feeding you. So you've really got to manage your time and, you know, manage your diary, make sure that you've given yourself enough time to do all the reading, the pre-work, attending the workshop. They've just opened up face-to-face workshops again as well. So all of a sudden there's now, you know, the additional getting to the venue, thinking about all of that again, whereas before, sat down, opened your laptop up. No, there it was already. Yeah, yeah. You only need um, like three minutes. Advanced. Exactly. It was literally, oh, great. It's starting at half nine and yeah. late morning. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's definitely time. And the people, other people that I've spoken to and, you know, like there's a million WhatsApp groups and Telegram groups that you can be part of. And, you know, most people would say that the biggest challenge is, is time. Definitely. It's not unachievable. It's definitely achievable. But you, I would say from the outset, make sure that you are touching the pathway at least every, every, every day day to keep on top of it Mm. how do you balance work and your time between the gp surgery workload and iaf targets within a pcn so what i've done now is i've divided my day up i will spend the morning seeing patients a quick lunch and then i'll spend the afternoon um, going through the iaf 
stuff. And then from that, I will then book my next following week's appointments that afternoon. A lot of it is, you know, you're starting off with take, doing bloods, just doing the admin things like, you know, taking a Q-risk or mainly it's normally getting bloods done or, you know, reviewing notes. So you can do most of that quite quickly in, in the afternoon. But it's either getting the patient to then book the appointment. That's probably the trickiest bit. But I think you have to divvy your day up. You can't do all of it in one go. I can't anyway. I wouldn't be able to like, you know, have a face-to-face appointment and then have, you know, 20 minutes looking at the IIF searches and then back to having another face-to-face appointment. I need mm. it a little bit separated so that I can concentrate on one thing at a time. But I think it works quite well doing mornings of face-to-faces and then afternoons or the other way around, whichever, whichever you prefer. Mm, I think it's good to divide your day into two and then focus on two different things. How about learning time? Do you have any protected learning time? I remember you used to spend significant time learning outside work. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's you... still outside work. So with, um, I'm not sure if this is all PCNs, but with our PCN, once we started on the CPP pathway, the um, four hours protected time was part of that. So you have 28 days with the pathway across the 18 months for pharmacists where you're out either on a a workshop or you you have other things that you need to do so you have those 28 protected days but anything other than that you've got to do it in your own time I think maybe sometimes that can be a bit of a struggle for people because they don't want to give up their personal time but but you have to if you want to do it well then then you have to give up some time Mm, agree it's not school is it it's not a university where you're going to get it in your paid work time this is totally different I know when you first transitioned into the primary care sector from the community sector, you were quite excited and keen to get in. How do you feel now about your decision to change sectors from community to primary care? Do you have any regrets at all? No way. Absolutely the right thing to do. It was probably should have done it sooner, but it was the best thing that I did. I mean, I'm just a completely different pharmacist now. I do sometimes think that if I went back to doing that role with all the clinical knowledge I have now, I would be such, I'd win awards left, right and centre. <laughs> it's, it's just a completely different way of being with the patient. It's completely different. Mm, yeah, definitely. Mm. What would you say your development didn't come easy, I would imagine. And it's, it does take a lot of hard work. And so you've put in a lot of hours outside of work to upskill yourself and read up. What would you say to other pharmacists who are new to the sector or thinking of transitioning into this sector? What do they need to be prepared for? Is it a big change that, like everyone says it is or... It is a big change. It is completely different to community pharmacy, especially from my background in community pharmacy. From my first podcast, you all know that, you know, I was in management for the majority of my career. It's completely different. What I would say is you what I believe is that in any role, you should achieve the highest standards in that role. So if you're coming in to just do a little bit of learning, a little bit of pre-work before your workshop or a little bit of reading up, then this is not the role for you. You need to know your stuff and you need to be constantly learning the new guidelines, the new trials that are happening, the new drugs that are coming out. You need to keep up to date with everything. So I would definitely advise people not to underestimate the amount of learning that you're going to do. And it's lifelong learning. Really, you know, some of the doctors I work, they're so appreciative of my support and someone for them to just bounce ideas off as well. 
And that's that's an amazing relationship to have. I said in my last podcast, when I first started, you could barely get the GP on the telephone to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sitting in his office or her office and going, oh, what about this and what about that? And, you know, we're having a proper clinical conversation. And that's amazing to have that knowledge from the GP on tap. And, and I really do think they appreciate having someone to you know, bounce ideas off as well, especially when you're coming in with up-to-date knowledge about subjects like asthma diabetes yeah Um, yeah. I would definitely advise people to whatever you're learning learn it to the highest standard so you can give your patient the best possible consultation as well you know and got a lot of patients specifically ask for me now which is that's fantastic yeah it's it's, uh, very humbling that they want they want to talk to me um, about their condition or you know whatever it is that they want to talk to me about well you're doing you're definitely doing something right and that's really nice um, that, that you've achieved that and I think that that's a testament to your hard work so well done do you have any advice to your old self are there anything is there anything that you would have done differently or or not um, I think probably same as last time, confidence. Again, if I look back now you, and I think about the nerves and the you know, lack of confidence at the beginning, or, you know, am I doing it right? And we use this right. Blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, just trusting that, trusting that you'll find your way, trusting mm. that in the, all the positive things that you've achieved before, you've got there for a reason. You've got there because of hard work. You replicate that, you'll achieve high standards again. Yeah, no, I think that that's really good advice. What are your goals? I know you touched upon them um, already, but what are your goals in the next sort of, you know, I don't know, three to five years in, in the primary care sector? Is there anything that you're looking to achieve? Well, my next step is to complete my pathway, which uh, deadline is end of October. So that's my short term goal. Then it's uh, in the independent prescribing course, which I'll have done hopefully you know, within the next 12 months, you know, less than that, hopefully, if once I apply for it, obviously. Then, you know, lots of different GPs are talking to me about lots of different opportunities. It's all exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. I'll take over the world. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think if you're still doing Tony Robbins courses, you might do. Well, Sandeep, it's been really insightful to hear your journey of how you've grown and developed into the clinician that you are today. Thank you for coming back again and sharing your experiences with us. And it's been lovely catching up and we wish you all the best. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me back. Thank you and good luck. Pleasure to have you. This podcast was brought to you by Clinical Pharmacist Academy, supporting pharmacists to transition into the general practice sector and accelerate their career as a clinical pharmacist. For more information about our academy, visit cpaweb.org.uk.